You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Welcome back to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. Today's interview is with Jen Sino. You might know her on Instagram as at the life of Jen. We have been Instagram friends for a while and I had to get on the podcast because she is just an incredible wealth of knowledge, especially when it comes to thyroid. And we talk all about that today and how to heal your thyroid from the root cause. So you guys are going to get so much information from this podcast. I cannot wait for you to hear all of Jen's words of wisdom. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. Jen, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today and dive into all things hormones, especially thyroid. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I've listened to your podcast actually for so long. So it's really? awesome. Yeah, 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 I have. Uh, so it's awesome that I'm on it now. I know. I'm so excited. And I love your content too. I, I'm always admiring like your beautiful graphics and just how well everything looks. So I love it. I love like your post today. Your po- What was your post today? Oh, on high estrogen. And it's because I feel like we, we post very similar things. And I know our practices are very similar. And so it's just I love being able to learn from your stuff. Very cool hearing that you listen to mine. So I'm just so excited that we can kind of collab and have you on the podcast to dive into all things, especially thyroid today. I haven't done like a deep dive on thyroid stuff for a while, and I figured you would be the absolute perfect person to do that with. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I guess I'll kind of introduce myself. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jen Sino. I am a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and personal trainer. Um, I kind of got started in this realm of holistic health um, quite a few years ago, more in my early 20s after coming off of birth control and dealing with all of those fun side effects and symptoms. And um, yeah, over the years, really, I've been able to kind of take my own healing and my own experiences and everything that I've gone through. And um, of course, you know, my certifications and stuff like that and more of the education side and it together and be able to, you know, really help serve women really worldwide um, with with their own health journeys. So it's a little bit about me and what I do. Like you said, we we do a lot of the same things. So I love (laughs) it. I know you do a lot of Dutch testing, hair tissue mineral, like I, I feel like hormones are definitely your gym. And I also resonate with so much what you say, because like myself, you also come from like a fitness background, your personal mm-hmm. trainer. I was, per- I, I still am. Um, I don't use it as much, but so I think it's nice to be able to merge fitness with health. I think that's why we both, I mean, I know you're friends with Illy too. Like that's one thing that I really loved about her off the bat is like kind of bridging those two communities. Cause I feel like otherwise, like you look at some other functional providers and they're like exercises, like just eat the green juice and just do this. Like mm-hmm. don't stress yourself with exercise. And then the fitness people are, of course, they don't care about, you know, generalizing, they don't care about ingredients They're not caring as much about their hormones where it's, why can't we meet somewhere in the middle? So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't feel like there's too many of us really out there that kind of merge the fitness stuff with it, I've noticed, um, like you said, it's, it's 
it's this weird like polarity where either fitness Mm -hmm. isn't really talked about or it's, you know, just kind of do an average workout or go for walks and stuff like that, which is obviously important. And then, like you said, the other side where it's the extreme where we've got gym bros on our Instagram telling us that, you know, hormones don't make a difference (laughs) while they're Mm -hmm. shooting up. Those are my favorite. It's just so ironic. I'm like, yeah, that's literally what steroids are. It's insane. Like, because I, I feel like since I've been in the space, like when I was doing the more of the fitness stuff, I was like, okay, here, like, this is your macros. Like this is, th- mm-hmm. it's just in brain. Like if you follow this, it will be, but then I remember I was seeing so many people. They're like, I'm literally hitting these numbers to a T and I'm not seeing any change. I'm like, well, that's weird. Cause that's not what's supposed to happen. And then now, like, you know, on this other side where I feel like that's all I see, like these people who are like, the calorie counting, the macro, like none of that worked for them because there's so many deeper and underlying things, whether it's thyroid, estrogen, yep. you name it. I mean, there's so many different imbalances that can occur. So it is really cool to to be able to have both sides. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting too. I find that the, like the, the longer I'm in this industry, I guess, the more obvious it's becoming too. And I do think it's timelines as well. I do think, you know, maybe in 2010, counting macros could have worked for the vast majority of people um, Mm -hmm. a lot more than it can now, right? In terms of shifting your body composition. But now there's just, you know, everything is so much more toxic. We're under so much more stress. Mm -hmm. You know, people are on so many more medications now. And it just gets progressively, I guess, worse in that respect that, you know, I guess the gym bros have a point, you know, 20 years ago or in the 90s, for example. Yeah, that was kind of like the bread and butter of, of shifting body composition. But we have to think about how our society has changed so much in terms of the food we're eating, the the water we're drinking, the medications we're on, all those types mm-hmm. of things. Um, so there's definitely, yeah, a lot more to it. For sure. So you talk a ton about, I love hearing your stories and love reading your posts on thyroid. And I'm assuming, because I've heard you talk about this before, you've had your own journey with mm-hmm. thyroid. Like what, I, I can't remember if you were Hashimoto's or just hypo. Yeah, both. So I was, I was always like pretty aware of thyroid health because literally my whole family has thyroid issues, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. And I just remember growing up and it was kind of like, Oh, one day I'll get thyroid issues too. Like, especially back then when I didn't know anything about health and you really just think that your genetics play everything in terms of how your health plays out. And I had just honestly accepted that I would one day also have hypothyroidism and struggle with my weight and all the things that, like I said, you know, my dad, my, my brothers, my cousins, they all struggle with. And, um, when was it? It was probably in 20. It wasn't that long ago. I don't even know what year it is anymore. I I know. I feel like (laughs) it's all just merged together. (laughs) Um, sometime in the last couple of years, I think it was actually in 2020. Um, I started working with a naturopath. So I hadn't gone to the doctor in years cause I had just been so, you know, let down by them. Um, and I had obviously, you know, started in the industry myself and, you know, learning all the, all the holistic alternative things. And so I decided I was going to work with a naturopath to just get my thyroid checked. Cause I'd never had it checked before. And so, yeah, I believe this was actually, this is almost two years ago now. I think it was in July, 2020 that I first got it checked. And, um, I was hypothyroid. 
Um, my reverse T3 was high. So I was, you know, my naturopath at the time said, you know, you need to manage your stress. And my antibodies actually came back in the 800s. So they were very, very, very high. Um, and I remember sending my labs to my friend, Nicole, actually. And she was like, oh my goodness, how has your thyroid not exploded with those antibodies? And it was so interesting because I had a lot of symptoms, but I also don't have a lot of symptoms of hypothyroidism. So, you know, I was having the really cold hands and feet, like to the point where I was convinced I had Raynaud's. My dad has Raynaud's. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what I had. It was never diagnosed, but I'm not kidding. And I live in Canada and I know you're in New York, so it's also very cold there in the winter. Um, I remember walking outside and within literally 30 seconds, my hands would be gray and my toes would be gray. Even when I was walking inside my house with without slippers on, my feet would just be complete popsicles. Um, and I used to take pictures of it. Like my one toe would go completely white and I just found it so fascinating. And also awful. Um, and so I remember just having really, really cold extremities. My body was always cold. I just thought that was like, what happens when you're a woman? Um, I had, you know, the PMS symptoms like mood swings and, um, sore and tender breasts. And I had really, 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 really extreme constipation for years and years and years after coming off birth control. Um, I had really dry skin. Like I, not that I'm saying it out loud. I'm like, actually I did have a lot of symptoms. Um, but again, I just kind of accepted it as like, this is what happens when you're a female. And so, um, all to say I got my thyroid checked and I was like, okay, here's validation. Um, and now I know like, you know, uh, uh, something to go off of, right? Like the data to go off of and see where I'm at in six months, see where I'm at in 12 months. And so that's kind of how I really started diving into thyroid health. Cause before that I didn't really pay attention cause I didn't feel like I had much of a need to really until, like I said, I got that validation from those, from those labs. Yeah, that's crazy. And so you said that was when, how many years ago was this now? Two years ago. I think it was July, 2020. Oh, oh, so that's definitely more so recent. Okay. For some reason yeah. I was thinking it was like back longer ago. Okay. So within, wow, that's only two years. Okay. Within those two years, what does that journey looked like for you in terms of healing? Because when I, when I look at you, like I, I would have never even actually guessed, like, I don't like, I just, I, I was like, oh, she doesn't look like yeah. thyroid or anything like that. So like, what has that healing journey been like for you? Yeah. So it has been, it's definitely been a learning curve for sure. And, you know, I did the advanced FDN for thyroid, um, that certification, which was really helpful for me, but that was only more recently. And so I knew that I had to get my stress under control um, more than anything. And I think this is a big thing that I talk about with my clients too. It's really unraveling what that stress is. I know so many people mm -hmm. in this industry talk about like stress is the ultimate root cause. And I 100% back that. But I feel like a lot of people, when they when they hear the word stress, it's like, oh, mental stress, emotional stress, financial stress. And those are all valid, obviously valid, valid stressors. But it's really about peeling back the layers and figuring out what other stress is playing into it that maybe 
you know, we can't meditate our way out of or journal our way out of. Right. And to me, that was like a lot of gut dysfunction. Like I said, I had one of the main reasons I really kind of turned into this more alternative healing world was because of my journey with my digestive issues. Like I was extremely, extremely constipated for at least six years. Like I would go to the bathroom once every seven to 10 days. I would always be like in pain. I would have to unbutton my jeans all the time because I was so bloated. And um, I just got no help from my doctor at all. And so it really kind of, you know, made me take that initiative to figure it out myself. And so I knew that a lot of that stress again was, you know, gut stress. I knew that it was toxic stress, right? I wasn't really paying attention to my beauty products and things like that. Um, it was of course, mental stress and emotional stress when I'm, you know, building a business, I have to be very cognizant of how mm-hmm. hard I'm pushing myself. And I feel like I'm, it's funny. Cause my clients will say this to me. They're like, I'm not stressed out. <laughs> and then the Dutch test comes back. I'm like, Hmm, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. this would say otherwise. Um, and I definitely feel like that's a bit of me too. And we're so used to like running off this adrenaline that yeah. don't even feel the stress anymore. You're like, I'm not that stressed. And then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely stressed out. This is not normal. Um, so yeah, it was just really uncovering a lot of a lot of those stressors and kind of reverse engineering from there. And like I said, a lot of it started with my gut. You know, we've done, we, I have done a lot of liver work and stuff like that. And then just Mm -hmm. kind of detoxing my environment and eating a lot more pro metabolically. Um, I was vegan for a while and that definitely did me no favors. So it's really been a journey of learning a lot about my own body, my own triggers and making a lot of mistakes, which I don't even consider them mistakes. I think they're all learning lessons. I've tried a lot of things that didn't work for me, right? But that's just that's just data. Now I know not to do those things anymore. Yep, 100%. And I love that you mentioned, because I see this a lot too, like when we think of stress, we think, oh, mental, emotional, like you said, we can meditate, we can mm-hmm. journal, we can go for a walk, do all these things. But stress sometimes comes up in other forms. And you said a huge thing, being gut stress and you touched on constipation, which I don't think people realize how significant I think constipation is. Like I was talking to my husband about this the other day and he's like, I don't know, he was mentioning like, oh, isn't constipation when it's only painful or like when you don't go for days? I'm like, no, I consider constipation. Like if you're not having one to three bowel movements every single day, I consider that constipation. And like, so if you're not, that's, potentially a stress in your body because your body's not able to eliminate certain things. And when you think of gut stress or when you talk about gut stress, did you have like any specific gut infections or like what, what were kind of some of the things that you did to tackle that? Yeah. So it's, so it's even like hard to remember what I started doing way back in the day because I struggled with it for so long. And I definitely like looking back, I guess with hindsight, I was for sure under eating. And I feel like this again is like very overlooked. Yeah, we can have the gut infections and the parasites and, you know, the um, even I mean, as like in chiropractic, right, if you have Mm -hmm. like misalignment that can be putting pressure on that whole system. um, You know, we think of all those very obvious, not obvious things. But for me, it's like I was under eating. I was a vegan. I wasn't eating many calories at all. And my food was definitely not dense, right? I was eating a lot of plant material that is, you know, 
easier to digest than, you know, a piece of steak (laughs) that takes more energy to break down. And so I look back and I think that was a huge thing for me is I had suppressed my metabolism so much and suppressed my appetite so much with the macro counting and the intermittent fasting and all those kind of fad diets that I went through and drinking shakes instead of meals and all the things that you do when you're, you know, 24. And it's like one of the most obvious things because so, and I'm sure you can resonate with this too. So many women come to me and don't even realize how much they're under eating or they're scared to eat, um, to eat more than, you know, 1200 calories a day. And I'm like, how do you expect to poo if you're not eating anything to poop out? (laughs) Right. It's like the most basic foundational thing that so many people just don't think about. So increasing the amount of food I was eating, obviously I'm not vegan anymore. It's been many years since I was vegan, but you know, eating- How long were you vegan for? I was vegan for about two, two and a half years. And then I was a vegetarian before that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was a while and I was kind of on and off vegetarianism, like through high school and university Mm -hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I would say increasing my calories, increasing the density of my food, like working on that stomach acid was huge. I, I tell people all the time, stomach acid is use it or lose it. It's like a muscle, mm-hmm. right? You can't not go to the gym and lift weights and expect your muscles to stay nice and strong. It's the same, same with your stomach acid, right? If you're not, if you're not eating or you're eating, um, like I said, like having smoothies for two meals of meals a day, your, your stomach acid doesn't have to work very hard to break that stuff down. Right. And so it just continues mm-hmm. to drop. And then, you know, I could talk about this all day, but then it sets the stage for pathogens and infections and yeast overgrowth and dysbiosis, because that's one of our first lines of defense. So I, I would say like the, the, the most foundational thing I did was increasing my calories for sure. And then from yeah. there, you know, it stemmed into all the more, I guess, particular, um, or targeted, uh, therapies. Yeah. I love that. So, okay. For the people who might be hypothyroid, obviously a big symptom of hypothyroid is weight gain. So for people who, I mean, and the, the crazy thing is like these people sometimes might be eating like only 12 to 1300 calories, but you're, like you said, it's really important for your metabolism to be able to increase it. So what, what tips or suggestions do you have for people who are like, I already have weight that I want to lose. I'm scared to increase my calories. What are some like steps that they could maybe take or like, what are some things that you did? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's super valid. And there is a chance that obviously when you increase your calories, you're going to put on a little bit of safety weight until your body recognizes like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, it's safe to lose this. I'm, I'm getting fed enough now. I don't have to store this energy. But with my clients, we really focus on, you know, a lot of like blood sugar regulating activities. So things like, okay, you're not eating, you're not eating breakfast. So let's start there. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's always, the, well, I'm not hungry. Well, unfortunately, the only way out is through it. A lot of the times when it comes to your appetite, right. And I'm not saying force feed yourself a five course meal, um, you know, at 7am, but you know, start with, if you're not eating breakfast at all, start with a shake, right. Start with something a little easier to digest and, and not so filling, um, or, you know, a pot of yogurt or something, something small, even a, a hard boiled egg, right? You don't have to have this huge elaborate meal. And so um, oh, I always, always start with incorporating breakfast again, incorporating snacks in between meals. And then you can obviously get into the 
more, I guess, personal trainer-esque advice of, you know, reverse dieting and Mm -hmm. slowly increasing your calories, you know, 50 calories a week um, until you hit really that, that maintenance level, which obviously takes a little bit of math and takes a little bit of work and takes time as well. And so um, I, I would say like, it's, it's easy. It's easy for us to say, right. When we're not the ones struggling with the weight gain. So I can totally understand when someone is worried about these things, but again, like the longer, I mean, the best way to kill your metabolism is to starve it. Right. So we definitely feel I, I, we, we definitely need to see a little bit of discomfort, I think, and make it through for that longer term goal. And (laughs) I'm not sure if you resonate with this as well, but as a practitioner, I always tell my clients, like, it's kind of annoying, you know, working with you for six months <laughs> because I I get you while you're going through it, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're having kind of the side effects and maybe the detox reactions and maybe a little bit of weight gain. And I don't get to see you in two years when you're like absolutely like thriving when you've gone I know. through it. <laughs> I know. Like we're in like the thick of it. Like we're getting the messages being yeah. like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, yeah. is this even helping? And it's like, we're missing the part where they're just like absolutely thriving. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit selfish, but I'm like, I'm always like, keep me updated. Like when, when yes. we stop working together, I'm like, message me. <laughs> yes. No, I'm the same way because I mean, and it's totally discouraging going, like it could be very discouraging going through a healing journey, no matter where you are, because I think we're such a quick fix society mm-hmm. where, oh, you're diagnosed with thyroid. And I actually didn't even ask this if you were put on medication, but like, you know, the first thing is to go on something like Synthroid, which th- that can be totally fine while you're going through a healing journey. But mm-hmm. people expect, oh, as soon as I start taking this, I'm going to feel better. Or as soon as I, if I have low testosterone, oh, I'm going to start just rubbing this testosterone on me or taking uh, pellets to boost this, this, this. And it's like, it's, we're like an instant gratification where sometimes mm-hmm. we don't want to go through the grind of like really fixing those roots. And I, I think that for certain times you can absolutely have a balance of both, but, um, that leads me to my question of how long did it take you to kind of start noticing some small improvements, especially cause I feel like when we kind of are our own, when, like when we're going through our own journey, it's like, we're trialing and error. And it's like, we're just literally throwing everything at it and trying to get something to work. I think of that with like my post birth control journey. And now obviously like we help people with that. We can expedite the process a little bit, but like the natural healing does still for sure take time. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's something I always, I always like to remind my clients of, and even myself too. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm a pretty patient person now. Um, I don't really get too anxious about my healing journey because I do know I'm on the right path, right? I know it's going to come. I'm actually getting my thyroid retested in, in, in about two weeks. So I'm really, <laughs> I'm kind of anxious to see what, what is going on there. And while I think the data is important, you know, getting your thyroid checked yearly or every six months, I also think that it can be kind of discouraging to do it too much because I tell my clients all the time, thyroid, honestly, in my opinion, is one of the slowest things to heal. And that's because a thyroid issue is not root cause, right? It's, it's kind of like acne, right? Like acne is just the symptom of something else going on deeper underneath, right? In your gut, in your liver, in your lymphatic system. 
and the thyroid is the same, right? So I can't expect my thyroid to be healed in a year because I need to make sure that I'm healing my gut. I'm working on my nervous system. I'm, you know, feeding myself properly. I am um, eating really nutrient dense foods. I'm working on my liver, right? Because those are all the things that contribute Mm -hmm. to a slow functioning thyroid. Right. And so I don't even remember what your question was. Oh, how long it kind of took for you to even just start not be obviously completely healed, but just maybe like start seeing an improvement with like your constipation, maybe like your cold hands and feet. Like how long did that take for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say I can't even put a timeline on the constipation because I feel like I was trying so many things for so long Mm -hmm. that I don't even really remember when it kind of switched. And like, I mean, even years later, I'm still like working on improving my gut health, right? I still wouldn't consider myself there yet. Um, it has gotten a hundred times better for sure. But I, I noticed things that like, okay, maybe that's not perfect, right? It's going to take a little bit more time, but I would say, honestly, when I started, I hate to put labels on diets and stuff like that, but I really, when I really started diving more into like pro metabolic eating, you know, eating a lot of steak, not that I recommend this for everyone, but I honestly eat steak almost every single day. I know. <laughs> and we eat a lot of steak here. Um, you know, I eat a lot of cheese and dairy and ha- like high quality dairy and things like that. And my body tolerates it well. And so when I really started feeding my body that way and not treating a smoothie or a salad like a meal, because I don't think it is, um, that's when I really started noticing changes. I would say within probably four to six months of really intentionally eating that way, um, I started noticing like my hands and my feet aren't cold anymore. I don't have Raynaud's anymore. Um, yeah, like I I noticed that probably first more than anything as my circulation started getting better. I also was implementing like cold showers and stuff like that to kind of help yes. with the with the blood vessel workout, I guess you could call it. And so um yeah, I would say four to six months, but I also will say in those four to six months that I really started like upping my red meat intake and having adrenal cocktails and dairy and all that type of stuff my circulation and my body temperature and my, t- my metabolism got a lot better, but my digestion actually got a lot worse. Um, and it was a temporary thing where probably for a good four months, I was like, my stomach's a wreck, right? Cause it was just going through that stage of trying to learn kind of how to digest again. Um, and so, you know, the standard person would probably discount all the wins, right? Discount the fact that your circulation's better, you have no PMS anymore, your mood is better, your energy's good, and just hyper-focus on, well, my digestion's awful, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's, again, going back to that point of really a, the only way out is through it a lot of the times, and it does take it takes time, but don't discount all the amazing progress just because you're hyper-focused on one thing that's maybe not quite there yet. Yes, absolutely. And I want to kind of go back to something that you said earlier about stomach acid. And so it's kind of this double-edged sword where, okay, we need to get you to eat more. You need, we need to be like eating all these nutrient dense foods, but like your stomach is really struggling or you're feeling really bloated. What and what are some of the things or that you did or like little tips that you recommend for as you kind of slowly start to increase food, how can you support that stomach acid? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different things, and this is why I always recommend working with a practitioner, especially when it comes to gut health. And I'm sure, again, yeah. you can totally agree with that. Because what I see in my practice is a lot of H. pylori when we run. You do see a lot of that. Oh my goodness. I can't believe like when I was going through like FTN and stuff, you know, the, I guess the statistics are 50% of people have H. pylori. And I'm like, I would, I would challenge that because I would say 70 to 80% minimum of GI maps I get back are positive for H. pylori, which is wild. It's on almost every, like I'm shocked when, when someone comes back under detectable limits, that is like shocking for me. And so when it comes to, again, working on your digestion on a very intentional level, especially raising stomach acid, I think it's really important that you are getting those types of labs done because it will kind of guide how you're going to tackle this. So, you know, with H. pylori, you know, it's contraindicated to take, you know, hydrochloride and hydrochloric acid and things like that to actually raise the stomach acid because it drives the infection deeper. But it is, like you said, a double-edged sword because H. pylori then lowers your stomach acid. So not only are you struggling with digesting your food and absorbing your nutrients and having this low stomach acid issue, but then you've got this perpetual like underlying infection that's actually making it worse, but you can't really do anything about it until you get rid of that H. pylori. So that is why it's a non-negotiable. My GI map is part of every single program I do. I don't like I don't let people not do it um, because you can really kind of screw yourself up long term if you are doing these. I don't want to say quick fixes like digestive enzymes and stuff like that are really important and they're really beneficial for a lot of people in that healing journey. But it can kind of come back to bite you. It almost reminds me of your post the other day about DIM, right? Different topic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's about estrogen and hormones, but kind of going for that quick fix of taking DIM for an estrogen dominance issue isn't necessarily the answer, right? And it it can screw you up uh, big time, long term, right? And if it you're goes doing with your it, post today. Pardon? Right. Yeah. And, that, and like when I saw your post today, I'm like, this is so perfect. Cause I had so many people in my comments being like, and I think you've made a, you've made a post on them before too. Like so many people are like, but what if I have this? Like what? And it's like, you know, I, I have recommended it to people before and it does work in certain situations. Mm-hmm. But like, I think with health, I am all for people trying to be your own best doctor, be your own best advocate. But there are certain situations where like working with a practitioner is really, really beneficial. And I think especially when these hormones imbalances, yeah, you can go buy and you can get on these supplements that contain DIM that you may or may not, you should may or may not benefit you in any way, but like, why is your estrogen high in the first place? Exactly. You know, like yeah, all that you did today, like nutrient deficiencies, the stress, the liver stagnation, all these different things. Like that's what really needs to be addressed. Cause if you're just taking the DIM, but you're not addressing that, I mean, you're going to, it's going to be a revolving door. You're going to constantly have these battles if you're not focusing. Right. Yeah. And that's why I always run the Dutch like much later, like at least six months in, because if I run a Dutch at the beginning and we're doing, you know, your HTMA and your GI map in six months, that Dutch probably isn't going to even be valid anymore. Right. Cause we actually are working on more of the underlying root causes and not just like you said, slapping a hormone balancing supplement on top of it or testosterone pellets or what have you to just kind of 
fix the symptom, but not the underlying cause. And like I said, the same thing can be true for stomach acid. Like why is your stomach acid low in the first place, right? Let's reverse engineer. Let's check if there's underlying infections. Um, And so when there's no H. pylori present, then I will work on, you know, even apple cider vinegar, right? In the Mm -hmm. morning to help acidify the stomach a bit, Um, eating those more nutrient dense foods, taking those digestive enzymes with, you know, ox bile and, and betaine hydrochloride and things like that. Right. But again, it is, it is a slow process and, um, yeah, people can really kind of go uh, in the wrong direction without the right direction (laughs) from a, a practitioner or those, those labs. So yeah, there's, there's, there's multiple ways to, uh, skin a cat, I always say, but, um, I feel like you need, you really need to know what you're doing when it comes to this type of stuff. Cause I've just seen it go the completely wrong way. And then that person is, you know, a year, two years behind in their healing journey because they tried to take a shortcut. Yep, exactly. Okay. So what do you see some of the, like the top most common root causes of either underactive thyroid, subclinical hypothyroid, or just like full-blown hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. Obviously, I know we talked a ton about gut health. We talked a ton about stress. Do you see any other kind of root causes that we might want to be thinking about? Yeah, for sure. I mean, environment, um, you know, fluoride, those halogens, fluoride, chlorine have been linked to uh, poor thyroid function, I believe. Fluoride is an antagonist to iodine as well. Yep. Um, yeah. So definitely environmental. Um, you know, drinking from water filters is very, very important. Again, getting even a whole house filter or a shower filter if you have a lot of fluoride in your city tap water, it's going to be really important. Um, and I said GI dysfunction, uh, liver is a big one. So yeah, definitely. We didn't even talk about the liver. Yeah. I love the liver. It's my favorite organ. Um, but again, people don't realize that the liver has, I, I describe the liver like the intern, right? It's an intern at a small business. It has a hundred different hats on. It's doing a bunch of different jobs. And if you give that intern too much work, it's going to get stressed out and not get anything done or get everything done a little bit half-assed, right? And Mm -hmm. so the liver has, uh, I believe it's over 500 jobs actually, but a lot of people don't realize, and again, this is kind of like treating the symptom versus treating the root, right? Again, a doctor, oh, you've got, you know, high TSH or low T4, whatever, let's put you on Synthroid or levothyroxine. And they're not realizing that, you know, the majority of your thyroid is converted T4 to T3 in the liver, right? Mm -hmm. So you can take all the T4 you want, but if it's not actually converting into that active hormone in the liver and in the gut, then you're not really getting too far, right? You're just increasing those blood hormone levels. Um, So liver is a huge, huge one. I know you're a huge fan of the castor oil pack, as am I. That's like such a good place for someone to start. I think coffee enemas are brilliant. They're so good for uh, liver detoxification, especially again, if you are kind of going through one of those protocols with like H. pylori or parasites, I think that helps a ton. Um, Obviously nutrition, right? There's so many different nutrients that are not only involved in nutrients and minerals, not only involved in liver function, right? But also in that thyroid conversion. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And then of course, stress, right? TSH, for example, you know, TSH is more so a stress marker or a brain function marker than it is an actual thyroid marker. And so there's, it, it really, again, takes that skill of understanding what a thyroid lab is and what it entails and how all these kind of hormones work together, because it's going to be different for each person, right? It, depending on what those markers are, you can kind of pinpoint like where I guess the issue is actually occurring or issues or that dysfunction and really hone into that specific area rather than, again, just taking a glandular and hoping everything like sorts itself out. Yeah. You know, your, your thyroid med is important, of course, while you're on that healing journey, but again, it's not, it's not actually solving the issue. Exactly. Exactly. And I think I love when people are like, yeah, well, we don't need to detoxify because that's what our liver is for. And it's like, we are putting so much extra stress on this organ. I mean, maybe you're born with it. Maybe you have some issues with methylation or MTHFR, like any of those genes that deal with detoxification, then, you know, you might already be off the bat needing to just show it a little bit more love. Then we throw on the environmental chemicals. We throw on additives in our food. We throw on stress. We throw on birth control. We throw on all of these different things. We don't realize how burdened this, I shouldn't say a little, cause it's not a little organ, but like it's a little organ in the context of all that it's doing for your whole entire body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. I can't even, I can't deal with those comments either. It's just from such a uneducated, misguided perspective, because you're completely right. I mean, again, I, I always tell my clients, like, let's go back to what our grandparents were doing, right? Mm-hmm. Or grand, great grandparents, were they like slathering toxic sunscreen all over their body and then drinking like tap water with pharmaceuticals and birth control in it and um, eating, you know, all these foods with pesticides all over them and taking, you know, 15 different medications just to offset the side effects of their other medications. Like, no, they weren't doing these things. They weren't eating beyond meat burgers. They weren't like my Nona would have smacked me (laughs) if I told her to go (laughs) vegan. Right. She'd be like, are you crazy? Um, so it is just like such a, such a, an educated thing to say. And like you said, a lot of people are born with these things, right? A lot of moms are going into pregnancy, which again, we could probably talk about for an hour in itself. A lot of people, a lot of women are going into pregnancy completely depleted, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's from being on birth control or medications, whether it's from their chronic dieting, which I don't know any woman in their 20s, 30s, and 40s that didn't at some point, you know, drastically um, under eat or yeah. reduce their calorie intake or cut certain food groups out. Like we've all been there. Even our moms, our moms mm-hmm. lived through the nineties with the exactly. Atkins diets and right. It started a long, long time ago. So not only are women going into pregnancy, so depleted with poor gut health, then of course they're seeding their baby's microbiome. They're passing on their, their depletions to their baby and all those toxins. Right. And then these, these poor babies are coming out toxic. There's been tons of studies done on toxic load of literal newborns, right? We're not coming out as clean slates anymore. So it is just a wildly different world that we're living in than, you know, 100, 150 years ago. It's sad. I mean, and not to make people freak out and feel like you need to live in a bubble and like never 
leave your house because please don't do that. But it's, it does make you a lot more aware of, okay, like this is kind of just reality. So I just want to make sure I'm doing whatever I can to make sure I'm supporting and focusing on these things. Like, you know, I know you're the same, like, I'm not going to not travel, even though I know on airplanes are not as maybe as much anymore, but like the disinfecting and the EMF and all these different things Mm -hmm. and whatever you get in like a hotel room or a different country or whatever, like you just support yourself with where you're at. But especially if you're dealing with a thyroid or hormone, I mean, I know we're talking about thyroid today, but any type of hormonal or health thing, like that's why supporting your liver, that's why we place such a heavy emphasis on it because vast majority of people need a little bit of extra love in that department. Yeah. Yeah. And you can look at it like one of two ways, right? We are very aware of obviously what's going on in the world and, you know, with all the toxins and our food and all of these things. Right. And I feel like you and I take a very empowered approach to that. Like, yeah, there's a lot of things that are out of our control, but there's also a lot of things that are in our control. Right. And that's a very empowering kind of position to be in because you can educate yourself. You can do the things you can take a little bit of time out of your day to, you know, throw on the castor oil pack or go into a, a, a sauna blanket or what have you. Right. And then there's the other side. It's almost like, I tell, I tell my clients all the time, don't get attached to a diagnosis because a diagnosis, whether it's PCOS or endometriosis or what have you, right? It's just a label. It's just a label for metabolic dysfunction underneath, right? And you can either take that and let that diagnosis cripple you or let this information about toxin load and all these things cripple you. Or you can use that as more data, right? More evidence, more um, guidance on what you can be doing to support your body, right? So again, we're never we're never going to live a non toxic life. It's literally impossible. So striving for that is completely unattainable, and you will stress yourself out. But how can we educate ourselves and empower ourselves to be able to be more resilient to the toxic world we're living in? For sure, for sure. Um, okay. I want to talk for a second too about nutrition and that I've, obviously we talked about making sure you're eating enough calories. Are there any specific foods, herbs that you focused on for thyroid health or that you really love for supporting and boosting optimal thyroid function? Um, you know what, again, I don't feel like I take an overly targeted approach to my thyroid, because again, I look at it as a symptom of something else, right? It's just the way my body has dealt with this metabolic dysfunction or this chronic stress is thyroid, right? Whether it's genetic predisposition or what, that's how my body is presenting it. For another woman, it could be endometriosis. For another woman, it could be rapid weight gain, right? And so again, I try not to get super honed in on just my thyroid because I know there's more going into it. But in saying that, you know, selenium and zinc are very important for that T4 to T3. So, you know, things like oysters are very supportive for your, um, for your thyroid red meat as well, because it's got that zinc in it too. Um, what else? I mean, minerals are huge. Minerals, I know you wanted to talk about the HDMA and all that kind of stuff too, but I actually have found that minerals have been such a game changer in my practice and in my own health. And it's something that's so overlooked. We yes, focus we always so talk about much. everything else. Yeah, right. We focus so much on macronutrients and micronutrients and all these things, which are obviously important. And then minerals just kind of get like shoved aside or not even talked about. But really, our minerals are going to. 
um, are, are going to really influence how our cells actually act, right? Which is just, just so important for your thyroid health. So we focus a lot on um, mineral balance, especially when there's thyroid issues at play. For sure. What are some natural occurring food or like high mineral foods that you like? So it really depends on the type of mineral you're after. So food-based approach, of course, I love food-based approaches, but in saying that as well, you know, our soil is so depleted. Our agriculture is not the same as it once was. Our water is no longer spring spring water with all these uh, minerals and magnesium and things like that in it. And so while food is very, very important, of course, um, I do find that supplementation for at least the first, you know, four to six months after running an HTMA um, really kind of expedite expedites that process. Like I don't believe you can get enough magnesium in from food alone. Um, sodium of course is going to be naturally occurring. Uh, calcium depends if you're low or high in calcium, that's going to be a, a big thing too, especially with thyroid function. I mean, my low calcium, uh, gals, whether they do it or not, but I actually do this is I eat eggshells. <laughs> um, I don't just like gnaw on an eggshell, but you know, I boil the eggshells, I bake the eggshells so they dry out and then I crush them and I throw them in a smoothie or I'm kind of disgusting. And I just take it off. I like dry scoop it um, off a spoon and then wash it down with orange juice. So eggshells are a really great way of getting in that, that calcium. Right. But again, there's so many, so many different factors that it's not just, Oh, I'm low in this. I need to take this. Right. It's also that, as you know, that, that mineral relationship too, like how are my minerals actually interacting with each other? That makes all the difference too. For sure. Absolutely. Um, so you've talked about this before on your page, the calcium shell. Can you talk yes. a little bit more about that and what that is? Yes. Yeah, so this is a really, really interesting phenomenon. So when you run the HTMA, um, in women, I believe it's over 160 when the level of calcium is over 160, that signifies a calcium shell. And so calcium is a very structural mineral, right? It's supposed to be 99% is supposed to be in your bones and your teeth. And what we see happening uh, with this calcium shell is that calcium starts to leach out of the bones and the teeth and it ends up depositing. It, it starts this soft tissue calcification. So it deposits in say organs and uh, soft tissue. And the way you can determine this through the hair tissue mineral analysis is because your hair is a soft tissue. And so when we see that calcium really rising, that means it's coming out in your hair, right? And you can assume there is this soft tissue calcification happening. And so a lot of people with this issue will end up with things like, you know, osteoporosis and, and joint pain, muscle pain, right? Because that calcium is not actually where it, it should be. And when we reach this kind of calcium, calcium shell status, the way I describe it is kind of like an egg, um, you know, forming around your cells and making them less permeable because the calcium is not where it needs to be. So it's, it's causing this almost like hardened cell, and minerals, nutrients, hormones then cannot get in and out of the cell like it needs, like it's supposed to, right? And so I'll see this come up a lot with my hypothyroid gals, especially the ones who are on medication 
and seem to have no relief, right? Like their medication doesn't seem to be working and it happens a lot more often than we'd think, but they're on, you know, Synthroid, like we talked about, for example, but they still have really persistent weight gain. Their hands and feet are still really cold. They might have depression, brain fog. And it's because, yeah, that, that thyroid is transiting in the blood, but is it actually permeating the cell and doing what it needs to do? So I find this so interesting and so validating for so many women that I work with, with those thyroid issues, because like, Hey, it's not, you know, you're, you're not crazy, right? Like it's not that you're on the wrong dose of meds and you need to keep upping it. It's the fact that on a cellular level, you are extremely hypothyroid. Yeah. No, that's, it's so crazy. Cause that's not something that I feel like I didn't, I never remember learning about that. And then, so when I started hearing about it, I really looked into it and I was like, wow, this is crazy. And it feel like you, it could be very apparent on tests. If you're hypothyroid, if you do like a hair tissue mineral. Yeah. Yeah. The calcium shell is honestly so, so, so interesting. And it, it often, you know, we often see it present alongside copper toxicity too. And if we think about calcium again, being this very sharp, hard mineral and causing that like impermeability, if that's even a word, um, (laughs) within the cell, we see it a lot actually with women who have gone through like a lot of trauma. So whether it's um, childhood trauma or even physical trauma, like they got in a bad accident and it's almost like a body's protective mechanism uh, by by forming this calcium shell so that that person can't actually re-experience those emotions. It almost like prevents like on a, I guess, on an emotional spiritual level from that emotion from getting back into the cell and them re-experiencing the trauma. And so oftentimes, again, especially when there's a lot of or a very high level of calcium or a double or triple calcium shell, we will see um, a lot of like apathy. Women will describe themselves as maybe a little bit numb, um, kind of emotionless, maybe a little bit disconnected. Right. And again, it's like it drives me crazy because it's such a simple test to run and you get so many answers for it. But then of course, someone who might be feeling this way, especially if you throw copper toxicity in it, which is the other side of the coin, right? Crazy mood swings, irritability, sometimes violent tendencies as well. Um, depression, right? You throw that in the mix and you go to your doctor for help and they just throw you on a med. Oh, here's an SSRI or here's, you know what I mean? Like some sort of, again, some sort of bandaid. And yeah, that can help a lot of people feel better in the moment, but it's like such a, such a simple thing to uncover and be able to actually help someone rebalance in that way without just having them on this medication for the rest of their life and telling them they're, you know, they're just a little bit crazy. No, I totally agree. That's, it's such a, it's such a crazy concept, especially cause it's so wild to think how our body can protect us and we can just kind of shell away either emotions or whatever it may be, because I do see trauma very much. So being related to hormonal stuff, especially thyroid, mm-hmm. cause you oh, mentioned yeah. like the TSH, uh, and like cortisol, I see that a lot. Like, I, like if anyone was going through like a traumatic event or not even a traumatic event, or like, even if they're just under stress, we can see that be off. And so that's always the first question I ask, but then, then comes the other layer of like, what is this other trauma? I've just finished. Well, I'm in the process of finishing how to do the work by the holistic psychologist. Have you read that book? No, I haven't. 
really good book. I'm reading it with my membership right now. And it's, I think everybody who's on a health and wellness journey needs to read it because I'm very much so like the science, the health the nutrition realm. But like, I feel like I struggle with like the trauma side and like for Mm -hmm. myself. And it's, it's always an important question I ask other people, but it's like, wow, this is, this is way more out there than we think. Like, this is so much more, not out there, more connected than we would think that it is. And so I'm glad that you brought that up because it's, it's really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, I'm definitely not an expert in trauma. I don't pretend to be. I always say like, you know, this is not my wheelhouse. Like you need to seek support with someone who's in this wheelhouse Mm -hmm. for sure. But um, even bring it up, which is like you might be the first person bringing it up of anyone they've seen. Right. Exactly. And I, I actually have my level one Reiki. um, Yeah. That I got a couple of years ago. I haven't used it, but um, I remember learning too, that a lot of thyroid issues are like related to the throat chakra and, you know, not speaking your truth. And that really hit home for me when I was diagnosed with my Hashis and hypothyroidism, because I've done a lot of work in the last two years, like therapy and stuff like that. But, you know, I had a lot of trouble with girls in high school and, um, you know, I definitely suppressed my voice, right, to not ruffle feathers. And I've noticed this was a huge, huge tendency of mine all through my 20s where I wouldn't actually say how I felt or, you know, if a friend kind of crossed me or did me wrong, I would just always like take it on the chin. Like, okay, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I would rather not the drama. I'll just not say anything. And it would just build and build and build. And then one day I'd explode, right, obviously. And when I learned that I was like, wow, I wonder if like me suppressing my voice for so long also had this like emotional, spiritual impact on my thyroid. Cause it's right beside your voice box. Right. And yeah. all that energy is kind of accumulating. So again, definitely not my forte, but I find it so interesting. And it, it's like such a, the, the women that work in that realm do su- such important work for sure. Yeah, I agree. Do you ever plan on incorporating Reiki into your practice in some way? No, I don't think so. I love it. I think after getting, after I got certified in it, I had like this very emotional experience where I was extremely, extremely, almost like anxious um, and really, really drained for about a month afterwards. And I think it just took too much out of me. I think I needed to do my own healing before I could kind of pass on my energy to other people, um, or take on other people's energy. I think it's brilliant. I loved it. Um, and I love going to it. I don't see myself anytime soon kind of getting back into it, but I think it's very, a very cool modality. That's awesome. I, I think it's really, really cool. My esthetician, does it a little bit. And she did it briefly on me at our last, at my last appointment with her. And it was just, it was a very cool experience. I didn't even realize she was doing it. And I felt like completely weightless. Like I told her, she just like put her hands on my head. And like, I thought that, I don't know. I didn't really think that she was doing anything. I just felt, I told her I felt very, very relaxed. Like I could have fallen asleep and like, just almost like weightless, like you're on a cloud. And she, uh, she mentioned like that she saw like golden hands. And then she texted me later that night. And she said, like, you know, I was doing, uh, or she used like her pendulum to confirm like, but the golden hands like me and healing. And it was my mom. Like, it was just really, really cool. Like it was, 
I was like, wow, I want like a full blown session of this though. Because like, yeah. I like you, that's how I could tell that like it works because I didn't know that she was doing anything. And like, mm-hmm. I could feel what she, like I could feel the energy. So like, it's not like she was like, hold it. Like, I'm going to put my hands here and you're going to feel something like it was completely like, I just was like, well, I don't know what you were doing, but like, I felt this, this and this. And she's like, yeah, I, I know I saw this. And I was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Some people are just such special humans. I agree. And I mean, it really, and we talk about that a lot and I know that you feel this too, but like when you work with other people, we're constantly taking in other energies, even just from working Mm -hmm. with other people or like, you know, you'll probably get a I know I feel this, like sometimes I get off a console and I'm like super energized. And sometimes depending on like how heavy it was, like, I'm like, I just need, I need to like reset my energy a little bit. So we're constantly taking in other people's energies. And I feel like it's, that's why it's even more important that we are making sure that we focus on ourselves. Cause if we don't focus on ourselves, we can't bring the rest to other people. Yeah. A hundred percent. Just on that too, like boundaries were such a big Mm -hmm. learning lesson for me with, owning my business and building my business because I, I definitely used to be such a people pleaser. And I mean, we won't unpack, unpack why (laughs) on this, on this episode, but I really did not hold a lot of boundaries around my business. And I would be answering people at all times of the day and stuff like that. And now I'm just so firm, like 5 PM I'm logging off. I'm doing my own thing. They can wait. Like, you know what I mean? And I will get back to them in the morning and my clients are totally okay with that because I think like us having strong boundaries too also teaches them how to have really strong boundaries too. Yeah, I agree. And that's so it's so funny because I never considered myself a people pleaser, but I think I, I'm just always constantly seeking that cortisol drive of like, where's that email notification? Where's that? Like, where's that dopamine hit of like getting back to something, which that's something I need to work on. I know, but the boundaries is really, really important. I really think you need to read that book, the how to do the work. I'm just finished. I'm on the section now where they're talking about boundaries. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll download that today. It's really good. They like, it talks about like your inner child, which you're like, what the heck does that mean? And I literally saw it kind of manifest in my adult life the other day. And I was like, explaining to Nick, I'm like, okay, so we all have this thing called the inner child. And like, when I act like an inner child, this is why, like, it's just so funny. Cause like, I'm things that I was somewhat aware of, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, so I'm excited to focus on those things now. And by no means am I an expert, but I think that it's a book that when we're kind of thinking of okay, we talk about the lifestyle, we talk about the herbs, we talk about nutrition, all this stuff like that aspect, the mental, spiritual, whatever is just as important in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'm excited to read that then. It's good. It's really good. I can't, you'll have to let me know what you think. I will. Um, All right, Jen. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like I could talk to you for three hours. Um, (laughs) This was such a great, we'll probably have to have you on for part two of one of these days, but can you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can connect with you, where they can learn more from, about what you do and who you are? Yeah, of course. So my Instagram is life as Jen, Jen with two N's. Um, so, you know, I post a ton of educational resources basically on every single post. I always <laughs> tell do. people as well, you know, like you could change your life with some of the things posted on Instagram. Yes. Um, so yeah, if you're wanting to learn more about all things health, hormones, women's health, um, definitely check out my Instagram. And then I also have a Facebook group as well. I'm not super active in it, but, um, you 
you know, some of the women in there will post and, you know, help each other out and share experiences and stuff. So that's nice too. That's awesome. I love it. Love it. And I'll make sure I link all that in the show notes too, along with your website um, and all of that kind of stuff. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been such a pleasure. I feel like it was so long overdue. I know. I couldn't agree more. I could not. Thank you more for taking the time out of your busy practice and your busy day to come and nerd out with me. Yeah, we'll have to do it again soon. Absolutely. Woo!